Hello and welcome to my digital talk. Today I have a special guest from the Austrian Armed Forces, Dr. Markus Reisner. He's a colonel from the general staff and he has been deployed several times in conflict zones and spent significant time uh, in the Balkans, Afghanistan, Iraq, Chad, Central Africa and Mali. Today we want to discuss the topic of robotic wars and the indisputable power of drones. And we would like to start with a presentation that Dr. Markus Reisner prepared for us. Markus, the floor is yours. Thank you very much, Galina. Hello to everyone who is listening to us. Well, uh, as uh, already said, I have um, <clears throat> a small presentation for you, uh, about 15 minutes. I would like to go through all these slides to give you some really um, detailed information about the ongoing uh, conflict zones and the involvement of autonomous systems. And I have also prepared some uh, videos for you, which I would like to show you to give you a real and authentic view on what's going on in all these uh, different uh, areas like uh, Karabakh or um, let's say the Gaza Strip just recently. Okay, I would like to start the presentation. Let me see if I can manage this. One second. And here we are. Velina, can you give me a short sign if you see the first slide? Yes, go ahead. Perfect. Yes. So the topic is robotic wars um, <clears throat> as a result of emerging technologies. And what we see in the last years, especially, does that these uh, emerging technologies really have some kind of a disruptive um, effect on the battlefields. So I would like to talk about non-state actors and state actors and a little bit about the results in the field and uh, some <clears throat> small pictures, uh, which shows you a little bit also what the future might will bring. So when we talk about emerging technologies and warfare, of course, every one of you will be uh, immediately think of drones. So uh, the first picture when it comes to state actors is actually really uh, the typical drone we all know. It's a Reaper drone. <clears throat> it's the workhorse of the United States Air Force. As you can see here, quite a prominent uh, armament. So two GPU-28 bombs and four Hellfire missiles under the wings of this drone. And of course, this drone pretty much makes it possible for the United States to deploy <clears throat> wherever they want. Uh, so there are about 20 bases from where they use uh, the Reaper, this asset. Uh, in, realities, in reality, it is like this, that uh, the Predator and Reaper, the two typical from the United States used drones are only a small element of a, a quite huge part of different drones used worldwide. So according to different um, sources, we already have about 50 states who can deploy armed drones, um, even um, maybe unknown names to you like Nigeria, for example, who can also deploy armed drones. Uh, this is the result not only of um, uh, a very prominent uh, development uh, in that technical field, not it's also the result of, uh, let's say, pro-revelation <clears throat> of uh, different drone types from different manufacturers. And as you can see in this slide, we not only have the American models, now we also have, let's say, Israeli models like the Hermes 450 or very prominent the Bayraktar Turkish drone or Iranian drones, Chinese drones, a lot of Chinese drones. And uh, <clears throat> to give you another example from another part of the world, also, for example, Pakistan. But this should only sh show you that there are different models already deployed in different um, conflict zones, known ones like Iraq or Afghanistan, but even unknown ones like the Philippines, or as we have seen just recently in uh, Karabakh. So when we go a little bit into detail, then we can see that the West really tries to use those drones and the armament in a very precise way. It's always the question, are those killings are all legal and according to the international humanitarian law or not? But um, just to stress this, the president who let they pushed it a lot when it came to drone warfare was President Barack Obama, Peace Nobel Prize winner, 
And he, for example, was also the driving force behind the development of a very special weapon, the so-called Hellfire R9X missile called Ninja. So as you can see, the special thing with that missile is that it is not armed with explosives. Um, now it's armed with four blades. So it's the impact with uh, the blades who actually kills the victim, as you can see uh, in the picture to the left, which shows two uh, ninja impacts in a <clears throat> target vehicle in Syria, which you can actually quite easily identify the uh, result of the weapon. And uh, when you look at the numbers, then you can see that the Predator, who is already retired from the Air Force, is used in about 250 uh, pieces, while the Reaper, we currently have about 320. And the end stage should be over 400, but it's heavily discussed at the moment if the American um, <clears throat> budget, when it comes to armed forces, will allow more drones in that field. So this is what we mainly know when it comes to drone for warfare. But the thing is, that a lot of other states also developed very prominent um, drones and drone features. So the first case study, which I would like to point out a little bit, is Iran. Iran is pretty much a drone superpower. Iran is using different types of drones. Some of them are re-engineered models from American ones, like this <clears throat> example of the Shahid-171, which is a re-engineered piece of the RQ-170, which the Americans used from Afghanistan, even in Iran. And one of these re-engineered drones the Iranians used against Israel in February 2018, when they tried by using an explosive loaded drone to infiltrate into the Israeli airspace. And the Israelis stopped that immediately, lost an F-16 during that incident, but the Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu very clearly pointed it out at the Munich Security Conference that this is a red line. Uh, Iran has crossed. And if you look a little bit into detail in all the actions Iran is doing, then you can see that Iran is using drones not only for itself, but also to arm proxies like the Houthi forces in Yemen. And as you can see here, there was a very prominent attack in September 19 against the uh, Aramco oil field uh, <coughs> facilities in Saudi Arabia. And also here in the picture, you can see that these are re-engineered drones or uh, cruise missiles from uh, which Iranian actually used a lot, not only to supply them to uh, proxy forces like the Houthis, but to also use them on their own. Another example um, where drones have, let's say, been heavily involved in the way we fight wars is when it comes to Ukraine. This is the next example I would like to give you. It's not only that the West uh, is able to have a very continuing uh, environment by using uh, all the assets to have a perfect what we call target cycle node. It's not only the case that uh, the West is doing that, but it's also the case that uh, the East is already very capable in doing that. So <clears throat> the targeting cycle by using a Reaper drone uh, lasts about 90 seconds. The Russians were able to do it in two and a half minutes by using drones to um, do reconnaissance on troop um, deployments um, and then to transfer this data to artillery systems, which then are used against these uh, troop deployments. Like um, it was in the case of Selenopilia, which is a very prominent name in Ukraine. Selenopilia was the case that a brigade size element, so several thousand uh, Ukrainian soldiers in the open were uh, tracked by the Russians and then later attacked by using um, even thermobaric ammunition. And uh, this had a devastating effect on the Ukrainians. And it's not only that they use these drones to uh, do recce, no, they're also using, <clears throat> also using them, for example, to collect the SIGINT data, like the Orlan 10, they use uh, more or less um, in a very sophisticated way to track, uh, let's say, signals from cell phones. So they were able to actually read uh, what the Ukrainians were telling themselves, for example, coordination, things like that. Yeah, and what the West also discovered later on in the conflict that when it comes to the point to supervise or to observe the ongoing movements on both sides, we had a very prominent involvement with Shebel, then the electromagnetic field, especially deployed from the Russian side, was a very, very um, <clears throat> challenging. And uh, Shebel had quite a lot of troubles, more or less, to uh, cope with that field. But it's not only that the Russians are the Russians are in an active uh, role. They also, uh, let's say, on the receiving end. And this is the next case that I would like to show you. 
uh, Syria, because Syria is interesting because in Syria the Russians were on the receiving end because the game changer in the conflict was the Russian Air Force, which the Russians deployed from Khamenei. And what the Russians faced uh, from 2018 on is several drone attacks, not only drone attacks, but swarm attacks, which uh, then resulted in significant damage on their planes, which of course uh, <clears throat> made it difficult for them to went on to go on with the high momentum of deployment of the, the Russian Air Force. And the result, and this is also interesting for us, was that uh, the Russians um, tried their anti-aircraft systems to upgrade them, like the Panjshir or even the Tor system, to be able to, uh, to track those little radar cross surfaces um, of drones, for example. The, the next uh, conflict zone which is of interest for us is Libya. Libya very often it said that it was the first drone war which we have seen here. Why? Because both parts deployed drones in a very prominent way. So on the one side, General Haftar used uh, <clears throat> from UA uh, drone types like the Wing Long. And on the other side, on the Turkish side, so in the Tripoltanian area, we had uh, the very famous Bayraktar drone, which we later also have seen in uh, Karabakh. And here it is, the uh, Bayraktar DP2, uh, the drone which uh, was used not only by the Turks, uh, by the Turks in the, the Kurdish uh, regions, but also in Syria. Uh, so they actually were able to inflict high uh, casualties on the, on the Syrian side when they uh, conducted an offensive operation in Idlib the province, but they also used it in Libya and later on in Karabakh. So as you can see, it's a quite small drone. It's only 12 meters of wingspan, very uh, well um, manufactured uh, air-to-ground missiles like the MAM-L and MAM-C, and uh, quite uh, a very good uh, ceiling capability, let's say 6,000, uh, it's uh, 8,200 meters height and up to 6,000 meters when it comes to range. So from the Bayraktar, I would like to come to the next uh, conflict zone, which was very, very prominently discussed uh, all over, uh, and that was Karabakh, uh, the situation, uh, the clashes between Armenia and uh, Azerbaijan, and what we have seen here in a very prominent feature, and I'm using the, the word which is used by the press, um, it's uh, the kamikaze drone. So uh, you can see actually in the middle row, loitering ammunition, like the HP-2 or the Orbiter from Israeli manufacturers, then to the right, you have the typical drones used for targeting, uh, let's say in connection with artillery systems, systems and to the right, mail uh, systems as a medium altitude, uh, long endurance, armed or unarmed, especially in a SIGINT role. And the interesting is that uh, the Azerbaijani side also used old uh, Soviet style um, planes like the Antonov 2, which they actually used in a way to uh, uh, like a bait. So actually the, the uh, Armenian uh, anti-aircraft systems actually were um, acting against those um, baits. And so it was possible for the Turkish side to pinpoint um, all these uh, anti-aircraft systems and to attack them by using, for example, with the Bayraktar drone. But to give you an impression, I would like to show you some videos on that later, but here is another nice picture. You can see really modern warfare in a way that you see the, uh, the, the, the picture of a Bayraktar targeting bot. So there is the impact of the MAM-L air-to-ground missile. And in the second, a kamikaze drone, a loitering drone is actually uh, flying to, through, the, through the picture, as you can see here, the orbiter. Well, this is when it comes to state actors. We should not forget that um, state actors very often supply drones to non-state actors, which they think they will use then in favor of state actors. So. One of the non-state actors, <clears throat> which we are using drones in a very prominent way, was the Islamic State, as you can see here in this uh, screenshot from a video. Uh, they even had schools uh, where they teach children how to operate um, drones and how to, um, let's say, use them in a weaponized role. So there were two different roles where the Islamic State used uh, drones. The one was uh, in a reconnaissance um, way that means, uh, for example, in this picture, you can see the, uh, the temporary base of uh, the Iraqi forces in the battle for Mosul. <clears throat> so by using the drone, they were able to sneak into the middle of, uh, into the center of this base and then explode the SVBID, the suicide vehicle bomb in protest explosive device, which had, a, of course, a devastating effect on the security forces, in that case, the Iraqi one. 
And uh, the other one, um, the other use, a part of the reconnaissance role was, of course, the use in a weaponized role. That means uh, small bomblets were connected to the drones and then delivered wherever they were needed. It's said that between, let's say, in the weeks uh, in the offensive of uh, Mosul, up to 10 to 15 drone attacks happened against the security forces on the ground on a daily basis. Well, and all these developments uh, lead to the point that pretty much every non-state actor uh, who is capable already is using drones. This is another example from um, from the from Kurdish fighters from the PKK, which are now using drones to attack Turkish uh, checkpoints. Or when we look what happened in um, in uh, Karabakh, then we can already see that the lessons learned, lessons identified. identified uh, copied by other actors. Let's say, for example, this is a, a Russian um, loitering ammunition called Lancet 3, which the Russians obviously use uh, in Syria to fight against the, the rebels. We have, of course, different drone types of Iranian origin, which are used by the Houthi fighters, like the UVX with uh, the extended range. Uh, let's say, as you can see here in, in this uh, backpack style um, auxiliary uh, fuel tank on the back of the drone. Then again, <clears throat> I would like to stress, uh, because this is very often overlooked, we have clear indicators that the Russians are using uh, um, kamikaze-style drones in, um, in Syria when it comes to battling uh, the uh, uh, rebels, which are assisted from the Turkish side. Then Ukraine, uh, this is the picture which I have shown you in the beginning. Is the, um, Yesterday, there was a big exercise in the Ukraine where they showed that they already are able to use Bayraktar drones. So the Ukrainians are hoped that by the use, that with the use of drones, they maybe can have the same result like uh, the Azerbaijani had in uh, Karabakh. And they are developing their own indigenous um, uh, kamikaze drone, the SD-35. Well, and of course, even Armenia is already starting to <laughs> develop new drones in a future attempt maybe to repel uh, the uh, Azerbaijani attacks, which are still not, uh, have not ended. So there are still clashes along the border. And the most prominent um, uh, non-state actor, which used in a surprising way drones, not only drones in the air, but also underwater was Hamas. And this is the last picture from the presentation I would like to show you from a video, um, which I would like to um, show you too, uh, which shows a little bit how the Hamas is using drones. Okay, that's when it comes to to, um, to the different types of drones and how it developed on the battlefield. Now a few um, pictures. The first, uh, a few videos. The first videos, Avelina, uh, if it's okay for you, it's um, it's a, a drone, a Kasef drone, which is of Iranian origin, used by the Houthi rebels. There was a very permanent um, incident in uh, Yemen when one of those drones uh, attacked the Yemeniti um, military parade. And therefore, I would like to show you this small video, which shows exactly the moment when the drone uh, explodes in in front of the, um, the speaker's tribune. So let me stop this here. So then I will see if I can open the videos. So the first video is this drone from um, the Houthis, the Kasef in Yemen. So, one second. Present. Lina, can you see the picture? Then the picture start. can be seen, yes. yes. Go ahead. <laughs> من لحظات حياته في المتارس والخنادق باليأس أو بالانهزام رغبا
Fuß wird das gedockt. Okay. Kann, hört man mich nicht mehr? Nein, man sieht dich nicht mehr. Ah, okay. Du bist gar nicht drinnen. Öffnen? Ja. So. Ja. Hört man mich, wenn ich da rede? Ja, ich denke schon. Nein, man hat dich gar nicht mehr gesehen. Okay, ich stopp, stopp bitte mit den. Mit den damit wir halt okay. Ja. So, I'm not sure if you all can hear me still. Okay, so I think that we are... So we have seen the drone video from the Houthis, the Kassef drone which they use in Yemen. So the next three videos, very short ones, are videos which shows um, the use of kamikaze drones in uh, Karabakh. So the first video is two Armenian soldiers. You hear the drone, uh, they think they might be targeted. They look around with their cell phone and then you can actually hear the drone incoming. Are you experiencing? Okay. Well, can you hear me still? Yes, okay, yes, so of course. This is actually how it looks like when a kamikaze drone, a loitering ammunition, um, a loitering drone, a HP2 attacks. Yeah? So in this case, the two Armenian soldiers were not hit, but you can hear the sound. So the next we video. We cannot see the video, by the way. Yes. It, it is not uploaded, just to. Just to... You haven't seen the video? No. Okay. But you have seen the Houthi video, huh? Yes, the first one. And after, after oh. the first video, there was a kind of a. Um, it was okay, not possible so will, to move to the next one. Okay, I will try once again to show the second video, the first video from Karabakh, okay? Mm -hmm. So, one second. So, once again. So, and here we are. And here it is. Okay, have you seen that video? Yes, okay, this time so this it worked. Perfect. So in, in that video you saw two Armenian soldiers they were in fear because they hear the sound of the drone and then you actually recognize that the drone is uh, actually gonna attack them and they were lucky because they were not hit directly so this is to give you an example how it looked like uh, or how it looks like when you are attacked by a kamikaze drone by loitering ammunition so the next video is the same attack but during night time yeah? and you can imagine how it was for the Armenian soldiers in the trenches to face uh, those attacks so second video Okay, so this was the second video. That was a, a loitering ammunition attack during night. Uh, as you can see, you hear again the, the very frightening sound, uh, which is still a huge topic uh, within the Armenian community, especially in the military, and very often overlooked because it sounds a little bit like uh, the Stuka, you know, this uh, um, very prominent um, tactical bomber of the uh, German Luftwaffe in the, the Second World War. And the third video is again a loitering ammunition attack, but from a distance, so you can even actually see the drone impacting. Yeah. Okay, third video.
video, you actually have seen the drone. Very small, but you have seen the impact actually from this Kamikaze drone. So you, you, have, you can actually uh, see that it's coming in in a 90 degree angle pretty much yeah? and in a very, very short time. So in the last video, yeah, number uh, five, is uh, a very uh, new one because it was um, published by Hamas. Um, in Gaza, and uh, Hamas was quite clever, which was quite um, a surprise also for, for the Israelis. Uh, it was uh, the fact that when the Hamas started to use uh, rocket salvos against uh, the Israelis, which then were, of course, um, by using the Iron Dome, uh, uh, more or less, um, uh, let's say, in a very good way, um, defended, uh, also Israel defended itself in, in that way. But the thing is that in the beginning, uh, while these rockets were flying in and the aerodrome started to work on them, it looks like that uh, the Hamases were also using drones, uh, very low level, coming in and trying to attack Israeli targets. And they were successful in the immediate beginning by attacking um, an Israeli oil refinery in a distance of four uh, kilometers away from the Gaza Strip. And after this, um, when it more or less came to public that uh, the Hamas were using drones. Uh, they published the following video, which shows a little bit the capabilities of uh, Hamas in the Gaza Strip. And as you all know, Gaza Strip is a very isolated area. So it's quite a surprise that the non-state actor was able to build this very, um, very uh, prominently used uh, drone. So this is the next video. One second. So here we are. So this is a propaganda video, more or less. Yeah. Mm. Israeli defense forces were trying to defend themselves against the in-flying rockets. Hamas, quite clever, uh, used um, low-level attacks, um, used drones for low-level attacks, and this is a quite, was quite a surprise. And the Israelis uh, reacted immediately by using uh, fighter jets um, of uh, F-16 type to actually uh, sh shot down the drones. And what we also know is, and this was also a surprise, that uh, Hamas not only used uh, these drones, no, they also used underwater devices to attack um, Israeli oil rigs, uh, let's say in front of uh, the coastline. Okay, Wellina, this is uh, it. Um, 20 minutes of presentation, a few videos, and uh, now I'm open for your question. I'm really delighted that uh, this time it worked with uh, the videos and with the presentation, Perfect. and I'm using the opportunity to underline that uh, Dr. Markus Reisner is uh, actually serving at the Theresian Military Academy as a head of the Research and Development Department since June last year. And all the views contained uh, during the presentation and now during the, this discussion are actually uh, my guests' uh, views alone and do not represent the views of the Austrian Armed Forces. Um, so we clearly saw from your presentation and also from the video that now armed drones are part of uh, um, not just part of uh, many military conflicts, but they are actually a game changer in some of them. And I would like to start with uh, a question that is related to, uh, to the state actors. Now, given that uh, they are also a cheap and efficient tool and if uh, used accordingly, uh, as you also shown us uh, from uh, your slides, uh, they can have also a strategic impact. Um, given that background, what is actually the current discussion uh, in Western, but also non-Western um, state actors about the use of armed drones? What is the state of not just debate, but also intentions of actually, um, you know, uh, using armed drones or um, let's say uh, considering them being as part of uh, you know the military 
uh, and defense portfolio of countries. Just to give one example, Poland is now going to be the first NATO member uh, that is going to acquire um, the Turkish Bayraktar drones. And you've shown us actually uh, in your slides uh, already where this drone has been used. So what is the current state uh, of debate about the use of armed drones here in Europe, uh, in the West, but also in non-Western world? so that we get an idea uh, about it. So, of course, thank you very much for the question. The, the first thing which is heavily discussed already for years is what kind of an impact the drones will have on the way we fight wars. Huh? And not only drones, but also, you know, the, the whole emerging tech field uh, starts with cyber and finally ends with drones and so on and so on. Huh? Some say we have a revolution of military affairs like we had in the past when it came to the, let's say, development of the plane or the tank or this kind of stuff. Uh, it's always difficult for a generation living uh, to decide or to, to come up with um, a clear answer on that. Maybe if in the future historians will tell us, yeah, this was a revolution of military affairs or not. But um, to summarize this discussion, everyone is a little bit nervous because there is something going on. No one really can, uh, let's say, in a very clear way, um, identify, especially when it comes uh, to the future of warfare. So, well, of course, the discussion started already earlier. It started after 9-11. Why after 9-11? Because after 9-11, uh, the United States started to use drones. And of course, at that time, it was immediately connected to the terms targeted killing. So always the question was, okay, is this legal what they are doing? Yeah? Is this, uh, let's say, in according with the humanitarian law or not? Yeah? Well, the thing is, whatever uh, was behind all these different uh, drone, uh, let's say, deployments, the fact is that they very, very were uh, very, very um, influential when it came to the way we fight uh, wars, especially in, in those coin scenarios at that time, so let's say in Afghanistan and Iraq and so on and so on. And as I have pointed out, President Obama, Peace Nobel Prize winner, especially tried to make sure that when they are used, they are used in a very precise way. Yeah? So the military has a term, circular error probable. Of, of course, this should show that, uh, in, let's say, ordinance is impacting in a very precise way. So everyone was focusing on that, yeah? which is the first different thing when it comes um, to developments also today or to the use of weapons uh, from the other side of the hill. Because for example, if you take the ordinance that the Russian Air Force is using in uh, Syria, only 30% of th their bombs are, let's say, precision, um, or let's say precise bombs are used in a, uh, in a very precise way, while the rest is uh, more or less unguided. So in that years after 9-11, the, the drones appeared, yeah, the Reapers and the Predators and the, the discussion started. Yeah? And of course, it was long not, for a long time not clear, okay, how will this impact the, the way we fight wars? But the more and more the conflicts, um, let's say, started to, uh, to show up, um, let's say, like we have seen in, in Ukraine or later on in Karabakh, the more and more we recognized that in all these conflicts, drones have a very prominent role. So the thing is, still, because of the discussion in the early years after 9-11, the West struggles to find itself in a very clear approach how we should use those drones in the future. You can see this very clearly in Europe, for example. Germany still has no decision um, how they should more or less um, proceed. Yeah, should they arm? drones, yeah, should they use armed drones, let's say for the security or for the protection of their soldiers or not? It's a, it's a debate which is going over and over for years and there is no clear answer on that. Other nations like the Poles, for example, who bought these uh, Bayraktar drones from the Turks now, they try to, um, let's say, improve the armament of the forces as soon as possible because they have a clear um, challenge when they look to the east because they think maybe Russia will be in a very prominent way um, faith their forces and they have to be prepared on that. And the Bayraktar drone is a, is a perfect uh, info ops campaign of, uh, of Turkey um, in a way that everyone is wanting them of those drones because they think, well, they can overcome um, Russian um, air defense system. There is the, the, the huge discussion with the Panjir system. Is the Bayraktar drone able to actually uh, overcome uh, <clears throat> 
the Pancha system, which is more or less always a discussion which uh, is not completely uh, correctly um, uh, conducted because you always have to think about the electromagnetic spectrum, uh, electronic warfare, which is also very, very important because all those drones can only act if there is, let's say, the electric, electromagnetic uh, environment prepared for the use, which is also very uh, important. So like Ukraine and Poland, they are, they are um, buying these drones because they think that they can now, in a way, um, have uh, a possible success in the case of, uh, let's say, a violent conflict. We not only see this in Poland or in Ukraine, because there's another uh, state in uh, Europe who bought just recently drones, uh, armed drones, and that was Serbia. Serbia bought um, drones from China, so they just did it. Uh, so they bought drones in an armed way which also is interesting when you look at the Balkans, because now the Serbians have those armed drones, more or less. Um, while, again, on the other side, Germany is still struggling, while Austria has not even started with the discussion, mm -hmm. uh, and other nations either uh, use drones from the United States, like the French, for example, because they use Reapers in the Sahel, or the Italians, or even the British, uh, for example. Yeah? So, while the West is still struggling how to go on, the East, uh, or let's say possible opponents of the West have in the last years done a lot to develop drones. So the Russian drone program nearly in a way exploded. China, for example, Chinese drones are flooding the market because you can buy more or less cheap Chinese drones in, a, in an armed version. Yeah? While the United States say, this is, by the way, also the background when it comes to the Turkish drones, because President Erdogan wanted to have American drones, and Americans said, no, we will not sell drones to you. So the Erdogan said, well, okay, then let's develop our own drones. So this was then more or less the result of uh, the Bayraktar. And by the way, the new, the newest the Turkish drone is named Akinci, which is also quite interesting name uh, when you look a little bit into history. Yeah? So the East has figured out that um, when it comes to a possible um, asymmetric situation, you can use drones and to, you can counter the West in a way. So we have now a more symmetric situation in a way. And of course, it's not only drones, but, but there are also other developments like hypersonic uh, weapons, uh, undersea torpedoes uh, armed in a nuclear way and so on and so on. And while the West is still struggling also with the discussion, can we use drones in a way that they fit into the humanitarian law? The East is just doing it, or let's say our possible opponents, because they see a clear advantage for their warfighting capabilities in the future. And as you all know, some scholars already say we have already a new um, armaments race, uh, which maybe has started with drones and finally will end with artificial intelligence, which is then more or less uh, steering or controlling those drones. And of course, this is a question which uh, has a lot of implications for us. So. Mm -hmm. And are there at least any discussions uh, at the European Union uh, level or the NATO level as to whether uh, armed drones should uh, be actually acquired and be uh, included in the defense programs uh, in the future? If we look at uh, the cases you presented uh, during um, uh, during the first part uh, of the talk. Um, um, so we have uh, the situation in the south, we have the situation in uh, to the east uh, of uh, the European Union and where actually armed drones changed to some extent um, the direction of a military conflict. Uh, now you've also pointed to Ukraine acquiring drones uh, with the hope of uh, changing probably the military equilibrium in eastern Ukraine. Uh, do you think that uh, we are uh, not just uh, when it comes to the European member states far, far behind in our um, debates, but uh, is at least something happening at the level of uh, the institutions? Yeah. So first thing is we have also again here go a little bit more into detail. So it's it's not only about drones. Yeah, It's also how can we defend against drones, drones. for example, when, when it comes to these kamikaze drones, how can we actually defend our forces or our states against the use of possible uh, kamikaze drones, for example. Huh? So this is the one thing. It's not only the drone itself, but also how can I defend against uh, one who is using that one. So and again, the problem is the discussion is very poisoned by all the things we have seen after 9-11. So everyone is, 
let's say everyone there's the word drone everyone has a, maybe a reaper in his head and okay targeted killings and uh, and you know the wedding in afghanistan a lot of civilians died and so on and so on yeah? the east uh, more or less doesn't care about this yeah? because they see as a clear advantage that those um, autonomous systems will give them in a possible future war fighting competition against prominent states like the united states yeah? In Europe, <clears throat> it's a more or less the fact that individually states are, let's say, trying even either to procure drones or, let's say, to develop drones in different ways. Yeah? Mainly they focus on reconnaissance or even protection, even when it comes not only to, to flying drones, but also to land systems and so on and so on. Some already have started to procure drones for the capability engage. So these are the armed drones, like Great Britain have American ones, the French have, uh, have drones in an armed version, uh, the Poles now, the, the Serbians, and so on and so on. Uh, other nations cannot even um, afford, because it's very expensive or not, or the discussion not even has started, like in Germany, for example, because uh, Germany is using drones, but in a leasing version from Israel. They're using her own drones, which they started to use in Afghanistan. And the question is, can we arm those drones or not? And as I said, the discussion is still ongoing. On the other side, you see in Russia prominent uh, programs like uh, the Ochotnik is uh, one example or the Orion which is a male drone or even in China where you can see that they have identified that there is a clear advantage and there is not much discussion about uh, moral standards or ethics they're just doing it because they think now we have a symmetric uh, situation and even later on we have an asymmetric situation so we even can overcome um, the opponent, in that case, the United States. Huh? And that brings us to the point that we have to accept that there is already an arms race ongoing. Yeah? And uh, I just would like to point at one uh, thing which happened last year from uh, DARPA, that is uh, the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency in the United States. And they came up with the idea, what's about, um, let's say, a future fighter plane in a very, let's say, nearly full autonomous role and they started to do the so-called alpha dogfight trails and what we have seen there is that a robot in seven turns always won a battle a dogfight against the human being and as you can very clearly uh, as a result see the first who has this fully autonomous and in a way very uh, high uh, in a very high autonomous grade flying uh, um, plane or drone will be more or less in an advantage in, in, a, in, a, in a very good, um, in a very prominent and um, position uh, when it comes to face uh, the opponent. And so the arms race more or less uh, has already started in that way. Mm -hmm. um, you pointed out uh, there is no international, uh, basically legal, legal or legal, legalization, let's say, that way of the use of armed drones, which of course make it much easier also for non-state actors uh, to get to them. So simple systems can be meanwhile ordered on the internet. Um, where do you see is the trend headed to when it comes to uh, the use of armed uh, drones by non-state actors? And you've also gave some examples but what uh, what would uh, be in your view uh, the really so to say worst case scenario when it comes to the use of uh, armed drones by non-state actors of course um so first uh, j just a few words about the the, the 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 law regime more or less uh, this is also discussed very heavily uh, within the scholars uh, do the law regimes we have as international humanitarian law use in bello, use out bello, are they sufficient uh, enough for these new weapon systems? Yeah? So there are two, let's say, um, ways. The one, uh, let's say, two directions. Uh, one direction is saying yes, because this is just uh, another weapon. Yeah? So everything is fine with it. And the other one said, no, no, we have to come up with a, a new law regime, especially when it comes maybe to future lethal autonomous weapon systems. Yeah? So this is the one thing. Fact is that we have no law regime concerning armed drones. And as you always know from the past, something has to happen, like it was with gas after the, the First World War, or let's say the atomic bomb after the Second World War, 
something really frightening has to happen. And then out of the sudden, everyone says, oh, Jesus Christ, what, what have we done? You know, we have to come up with more stricter rules. And um, drones are very often are always used to explain or to show a little bit or point in the future, let's say, as the first step to a maybe in the future fully autonomous weapon system. Okay. But for the moment, we will have, so we have no and we will not have a law regime because everyone see, especially the military, a clear advantage. Yeah? Not always thinking in an aggressive way, but also in a way to defend yeah? and to protect uh, their own troops. So no one is interested in a law regime. And by the way, we, have, we do not have a, a law regime when it comes to air wars still since the end of the First World War, because everyone knows that, uh, let's say, the plane has a huge advantage when it comes to warfighting. So, of course, we have the use of drones by, uh, by state actors, and maybe in the future we will have uh, not uh, these coin scenarios we had in Afghanistan and Iraq in the last years, but we have maybe scenarios where China is facing United States, for example, okay? So, some kind of full-scale war. But more prominently used um, is, uh, are drones, especially smaller ones, by non-state actors. Uh, and again, I would like to point out that very often non-state actors, uh, because of proliferation from state actors, are getting hands on drones, like I have shown with the Houthi example. And then the question is, um, if a non-state actor, a terrorist organization is, is using drones, can this, has, can this have an impact on us? Of course, uh, very fast. Uh, it can also have an impact on us in European societies because just imagine a terrorist organization is using a small drone um, loaded with explosive uh, during, a, uh, during a soccer game uh, in a stadium, for example, or um, some other weird examples when it comes, for example, to biological warfare or chemical warfare. So there are, there are let's say, scenarios which are really frightening in a way. And, and therefore, we have to be prepared. That means we, we need counter you know, uh, unmanned aerial systems. Um, we need uh, clear strategies on that. We need um, also a clear idea, let's say, what can they do and how can we actually react on that? So these are answers we have to come up with. But the problem is still politicians yeah, and even the society has not completely understood what's going on here. Yeah? So everyone is talking about drones and cyber war. So what does it mean for me personally or for me as a politician, for example? Yeah? And this is why it is so important to, to start talking about this, yeah? to, to bring the discussion in, into the societies and to come up with clear answers. Let's say, for example, yes, we will procure armed drones, but only for the protection of our soldiers and not in an aggressive way. Or yes, we will come up to buy our counter US um, systems, but especially to defend against the terrorist attack uh, and so on and so on. So these are the answers we have to come up with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you also said uh, drones uh, can be used as weapon carriers. Um, you pointed to the possibility of uh, them being loaded with explosives, but they also could be used for the deployment of uh, chemical or biological weapons. If we think in terms of worst case scenario, yes. this is uh, quite yes. a realistic, actually, worst-case scenario. And I see also in that uh, context no real preparation on the side of governments uh, how to equip uh, their armed forces adequately. So do you think that really something seriously bad should happen in order uh, for decision makers to start this debate or I mean it's obvious that the technological breakthroughs are already taking place and it's also obvious that the laws neither the laws nor the governments can keep up with these technological breakthroughs. Well, sure sure I mean the, the answer we will have um, when so we will find the answer more or less um, when we look a little bit more how in the in the, in the past there are things I have developed of course. So again, certain systems were developed. No one was clear, okay, what will that mean for us? Let's say the plane. Yeah? So the first planes were going around, looking very funny. No one was actually really interested because it was new. Other ones said, well, this will be the future. Okay, we know what impact planes and bombing finally had in, in warfare. Yeah? And also 
when it came, especially in the Second World War, uh, to the point of civilian bombing. Uh. The next one is the atomic bomb. Uh. Everyone was uh, developing the atomic bomb, uh, Robert Oppenheimer, because it was against the Nazis and uh, Japan. And then was Hiroshima, Nagasaki, and Oppenheimer said, ooh, I'm the, I'm the destroyer of the worlds. Yeah? But it was after this happened. Yeah? So, and again, now we have developments which might at the end lead to a, a situation where artificial intelligence will be able to control the decision between life and death. And this is a very, very delicate decision. Yeah? So I think we have to accept that drones in a certain way will in or let's say autonomous systems will influential when it comes to the way we fight wars um, and we are at the starting point so we haven't talked about swarms for example you know swarm technology is very much connected to the term of saturation so if there are many many drones attacking at the same time whatever defense system you will have iron dome will be more or less overwhelmed because there are so many yeah so there are clear advantages when it comes to the thing but the point is where will it end finally? So and now I would say that in the West, yeah, United States, Europe, we have already started a very useful discussion when it comes to moral and ethic, uh, ethical principles. So we are doing this. We're discussing it. Even the America, uh, even America, even the United States, all the papers are saying, well, we're building Jones, but you know, the last decision when it comes to killing will be the human. So in the kill chain, there is always a human. Clear, clear, clear statement. Question is, what do the Chinese or the Russians when it comes to that point? Have we read any papers where it is very clearly stated that also they will think in a way? Or is it more that they think that they will have soon an advantage when they use maybe fully autonomous systems against the West? And this is the question because this is always when the arms race start, when, let's say, an asymmetric situation starts to become symmetric. And if one opponent is in a better situation as the other one, the other one tries to come up with a better solution and so on and so on. And this will go on as long as the human being will not accept that we have to stop this, you know, like it was in the 80s, because we said there are so many atomic bombs, we can destroy the world several times. OK, let's uh, let's sit down and, and talk a little bit. OK. And maybe this will also happen when it comes to autonomous systems. So maybe we'll have an incident which will have a devastating effect, you know, high human losses. You know. Maybe this will be not related to drones, but maybe it will be related to cyber weapons, which also can be very autonomous in a way they are deployed. Uh, so a lot of uh, civilian casualties, and then we'll sit down and say, oh, Jesus Christ, okay, now we have... Um, so there was the red line and we have overstepped it. So we have to sit down and think a little bit. Okay, should we go on or not? Yeah. But at the moment, yeah, I think the, the race is on. Yeah. So everyone is trying to develop the best weapons to be smarter, better, uh, more clever than the other one. Yeah. And this we see we see on both sides. And the, the big change uh, compared to the years, in, to the last centuries, is that everyone yeah, with a bit of knowledge is now able to control those emerging technologies um, and let's say have them result in a disruptive effect for example yeah. mm -hmm. uh, a question regarding the most recent uh, military episode between israel and um, hamas so what do we in fact know about hamas drones We've uh, observed that Israel's Iron Dome defense system proved to be um, more than a match to Hamas homemade drones. However, the cost of intercepting them was also quite disproportionate. Um, what well, does it mean, mean now mean, for, okay, right yeah. now there is a ceasefire, but what does it mean for the future? Well, I mean, this. Um... This is an academic discussion. Yeah? What is, what is, let's say, more valuable, the life of an Israeli citizen or a rocket or 10 or 20 who costs a lot of money? Yeah? Question is, there is no question, it's always the life. Yeah? And uh, the Israeli Defense Forces uh, worked hard in the last years to develop the best system, which is actually possible 
to act or defend uh, themselves against um, incoming rockets. Uh, and this was the Iron Dome system, which is a very well-developed system. And as you all know, um, the Iron Dome is not um, acting against any rocket which is fired against Israel. No, the system also with a little bit of artificial intelligence knows, okay, from those 100 rockets, those 25 can be dangerous. So let's attack these 25 uh, rockets. But again, the problem is saturation. That is the keyword. If there are, let's say, 200 rockets at a certain time, it's, the system is overwhelmed. Huh? And the problem is, if it's not a thumb weapon like the, the rocket, yeah, which is unguided, no. Let's say if 100 drones, which you can control, or which even can control themselves in a little way, are as out of the sudden start to attack. And uh, of course, when we look at those drones, which you have seen in the video, uh, there are a lot of similarities, which uh, reminds you of other types, uh, especially Iranian ones. And um, it's not completely clear at the moment, but a lot of, um, let's say, uh, scholars, let's say Norway, um, also doing a lot of research, uh, like me, when it comes to drones and things like that, point in the direction of maybe Iran, who had some kind of involvement when it came to the development of uh, those drones. And again, it's quite easy to build these things, yeah? because uh, when um, you look for example for the engine of the drones Hamas used, it looks like that it was a, a Chinese type uh, engine, which is normally used for RC planes, for you know model planes, which you can procure very easily via Alibaba, whatever it is. And then you just put all these parts together and you have a perfect, uh, um, the drone which you then uh, finally can use. Um, but of course, the question is, okay, was it Hamas on itself who came up with the development? Hmm. Or was someone who helped them? Uh, like uh, we know from, from other regions, especially also in, in the Levant, like for example, Hezbollah, which is very clearly uh, using uh, uh, technical skills, which they were taught by Iran, for example, or like like the Houthis, for example, because it's always said the Houthis developed their drones, which is absolutely nonsense. Uh, those drones are coming in from Iran, for example. The Kasev drone, which we have seen, is not a Houthi development, it's an Iranian drone, proliferated to the Houthis and then used against the, the Saudi Arabian coalition, of course. But again, you see that non-state actors, by using those um, by, by using those assets and their technical skill, can develop weapons which then can have a disruptive effect. Like we have seen with the Houthis, um, officially the Houthis more or less, who attacked this uh, Saudi uh, oil field of uh, Aramco, which had strategic uh, and strategic impact, finally. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned several times also the role of artificial intelligence. Uh, now we know that uh, it's been not just discussed, but already tested in various fields and uh, sectors. Uh, the most recent example with uh, the new project uh, by Elon Musk, uh, Neuralink, where he actually wants to implant a chip uh, in a human brain and basically create artificial, so um, merge, not just create, but merge artificial with uh, human intelligence uh, in an absolutely unprecedented way. Uh, do you think that robots will change the public uh, public's uh, relationship uh, and also the relationship of governments uh, towards war and military conflict? And uh, yeah, in addition, I would say also, um, does the ability actually to uh, watch or make YouTube video clips of uh, combat or military conflicts, and we've watched some of these uh, uh, clips uh, also during the presentation, thousands and thousands of miles away, uh, turn war also in a sort of, uh, or in a form of uh, entertainment where our perceptions about war change? Yeah. Um, well, of course, I mean, this already started in the 90s. Uh, I think the older ones um, around us still remember the videos we saw uh, in the second Gulf War in 1991. You know, the cruise missiles, uh, just seconds or split seconds before impact, for example. So since that time, we have those videos. Uh, very prominently, we had them in Karabakh because Azerbaijan every day came up with dozens of videos, uh, several videos um, showing, let's say, how they actually inflicted mass casualties um, on Armenian hardware, tanks, uh, infantry fighting vehicles, even soldiers then finally, because there weren't any targets left, more or less. So they were attacking groups of soldiers already. 
Um, so, so this is something which, of course, um, more or less is something we have to accept because this is fact. Wherever a conflict goes off, immediately, let's say after the first impacts, we have seen that in Gaza, you can pretty much in time watch what's going on there. Yeah? So second is the drones itself. Um, and this is one of the arguments which is always um, also brought to attention um, to everyone is that maybe the drone gives you the possibility to act in a remote way and you're not directly involved with the thing which is happening there. Yeah? So there are pros and cons. Yeah? So some drone pilots even say, well, I have, I mean, I'm watching the target for several hours, even days. So I'm very close to the target, which I then finally will attack by using a hellfire. Yeah? Others say, well, of course, if I'm not using my soldiers, it's only drones, then I don't care. Let's say 100, doesn't matter. So uh, there are a lot of arguments in the way. But of course, I think one thing is we should not forget that drone is a very good possibility, especially for this new kind of war wars we fight at the moment, like these hybrid wars, which already start, of course, uh, let's say in the information environment, but especially when it comes to the point who is responsible for something. Yeah? So who was the one who sent a drone to another country? And as we all know, a drone is unmanned. So if a Chinese drone pops up somewhere in the South Pacific, there is no little Chinese in there, which you can actually show the world and say, look, um, there was a Chinese crew member and he's the responsible. If the Americans are flying drones over Iranian air, in Iranian airspace and the Iranians are bringing them down, there is no American pilot you can show the world. And the Iranians, uh, even if they say, well, this is an American drone, the Americans will say, oh, well, I, I don't know where this drone comes from. Or as we have seen Ukraine, yeah? I mean, the Ukrainians tried to show us, see, um, see there and there, look, those are Russian drones which are flying in our country. And the world was more or less ignoring it. Yeah? Because, well, of course, we don't know. It's, you know, fake news, whatever it is. Yeah? So, so this is the, the big advantage. No pilot yeah, means no, in a way, accountability. And this is uh, something uh, which can be quite dangerous in, in, in the future. Well, <clears throat> artificial intelligence, this is the big discussion. I'm always comparing it with the example, who will be the winner in the future, Tom Cruise or Terminator, so Arnold Schwarzenegger, so the pilot. Yeah? Now the second time in the new movie, um, who is so brilliant that he can even fight the drone, or will it be the robot like Arnold Schwarzenegger, or will it be something behind Arnold Schwarzenegger, means Terminator, Skynet, uh, so something which is in the cyber world, in the new domain. Well, this is the thing um, we don't know, but uh, again, I would like to stress all these developments we might will not be able to control until the end. And especially in the cyberspace, everything is acting with, let's say, light speed. Yeah? And this is quite problematic because it's quite faster than a human can think. If someone attacks you in the cyber domain, you cannot decide should you react or not. It's, let's say, in the split second, you have to do it. And this is done in a very autonomous way. So the defending systems more or less are doing it already without any human involvement because if they are not doing it, they will be overwhelmed. And, you know, all the things point in a direction where the human being is losing more and more control about all these technical gadgets uh, he has invented. The next thing is, you know, um, all the, the new developments when it comes uh, to computers. Um, <clears throat> we don't know. So in the future, we will not only have zero and one. No, there is an in-between. Yeah? And if we feed some stuff uh, into the computer, then the computer will give us an answer and this answer we have to follow because it's a you know it's a computer answer it's a simulation so there is no no mistake on it and uh, as we know from the past there are a lot of examples very prominent examples where we actually can quite easily see that if we trust the machine we might fail very badly so at the end it should be always the human being who come up with the decision and mm -hmm. oh, this is the point where the discussions should start and why it is so important like today we, we discuss this thing yeah. well a final question on my side because we already extended the 60 minutes uh, format um, uh, you published a book on robotic wars and the use of military unmanned systems uh, in 2018 um, in terms of modern conflict scenarios um, and this book was published in 2018 
if you um, were to uh, basically re-edit your book, adding a new chapter to it uh, as seen from the perspective of uh, post-COVID-19 um, pandemic scenarios and also what we've witnessed in the most recent uh, times, what would you add to your book? Where, what uh, now that you are more wise, <laughs> four, five years later, what would be actually the one chapter that you would like to add to your uh, book? Uh, on robotic wars. Well, the, the thing is, I just uh, will say, would like to pinpoint it uh, by using one example. Huh? So in the book, I described several systems which are at that time were very, let's say on a very high level of autonomy. Huh? And one of the systems I described is the Harpy 2, the Harop. So these kamikaze drones, which then was used um, very prominently in Karabakh. So what I would do is, <laughs> I would add a chapter by reflecting on the things I have written at that time in 2018 and uh, 2017 and uh, tell the reader, okay, see, what I have written in 2018 materialized only a few years later in a way that we have seen them. So the question is, from all the other things are which are still in the book, what will be the next things we will see in the upcoming years? Huh? But this is then maybe the, the stuff for a third of fourth edition, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so thank you very much for taking the time and participating in this uh, highly interesting digital talk on uh, the use of armed drones and robotic wars. I do recommend uh, to our German-speaking audience to uh, buy the book. Uh, it's available on Amazon. Um, and I really like also uh, the fact that you all, that you basically um, point you, you point to the question. Uh, whether it's up to the humans, and you've also pointed out uh, during the conversation, in, in, in the end, it's up to the humans to decide yes. how to shape the, uh, the, the future in terms of decisions uh, on or against the use of these uh, technologies. And the same goes for artificial intelligence. In the end, it should be up to us humans to decide how to use this technology or whether we should not use it in specific areas. And I'm really, really grateful also for the opportunity to present us um, um, realistic, not just uh, realistic uh, scenes, um, uh, based on the use of armed drones, but also realistic scenarios for the future. Thank you. Thank you. For being yeah, thank you for listening. All the best.